Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Hills Church is a four-square church in Laguna Hills, California. Visit us on the web at hillschurchoc.com. And so, um, you know, this uh, kaleidoscope was actually more than a... Uh, it, we, we tend to think of it like a kid's toy. But it was created more than 200 years ago by Dr. David Brewster, who first put these tubes, uh, these mirrors, into a, into a tube. Um, most often, they are in like a, they're in like a triangle. And at one end of the kaleidoscope, you'll see that there is a view piece, an eyepiece to look through. And on the other end is this end cap in which uh, small things are often placed. Sometimes they're adhered uh, to the to the back wall, sometimes they they float in some type of of liquid. Sometimes, like these little toys, they're just kind of loose in the in the back, and so they move into these different uh, positions. And the u- unique thing about the kaleidoscope is because of the way that the images are refracted or reflected inside the kaleidoscope. Very rarely are you able to see the same image, do you see the same image twice? And what's so interesting is that usually in the back of the kaleidoscope are broken pieces of glass that also allow the light to to shine through and then as it moves around and it falls into different places, creates these different images. And the word kaleidoscope comes from these three Greek words. The first word is kalos, which means beauty, which means something beautiful. Eidos, which means to to see. And skopeo, which means to look or to examine, right? Like, um, like to scope something out. These three words describe this idea of being able to look at something to find the beauty that is in it. And today we're going to begin to scopeo or to look at something that I consider to be very beautiful. And it is called the church. It is something marvelous. And, and the thing that I like about this particular, this particular uh, kaleidoscope is if you see that it's made, uh, if you look closely, you'll see that there are three mirrors inside this uh, particular kaleidoscope. And for me, these three mirrors kind of represent God to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That even though we might be the broken pieces that are attached to the end, when viewed through the reflection of the goodness and the greatness of God, then what begins to happen is there is a beautiful image that emerges. It's not always the same. It is always shifting. It is always changing. But in that, our brokenness becomes something that is very beautiful for others to be able to see. In fact, it reminds me about what was written to this church in Corinth, this group of believers in Corinth. And it says this, Now the Lord is spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, 
with unveiled faces, I love this, reflect the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to glory, which is from the Lord, who, who is spirit. Now let me kind of unpack this for us just as this, we kind of walk in this. The church throughout its history, even throughout our history, continues to change and continues to shift. But it nevertheless is any more beautiful because the glory of the Lord somehow through our brokenness and even through our changing nature, two things are taking place. God is doing a work that is in us and he's also doing a work through us by which God's glory is being displayed to the world. I personally think that that's what the book of Acts reflects to us and why we're going to spend this summer through this journey. It is this journey of how God chose to use the brokenness of humanity to begin to display his glory through us. In fact, this book of Acts, just to give some background, is actually the, a, a volume number two to this kind of little history or narrative that was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was an associate of Paul. Many people believe that Luke was part of the larger group who were exposed to Jesus' teaching and began to kind of follow along. He was not necessarily in the inner core of 12, but was someone who was close enough in proximity to the relationships and to the um, people to the apostles and and heard Jesus enough that he wrote a first volume that we call the gospel of Luke. Luke was not one of, again, Luke was not one of the 12 apostles, but was a trusted confidant and began to write kind of this, um, not a, uh, if it was in common movie terms today, it would be some kind of like a documentary about what Jesus's life was all about. In fact, Luke describes the first volume of this two-set um, group of books to be describing what Jesus did and said. In fact, in the introductory, if you've got your Bibles, let's open to chapter 1. We're going to stay there this morning. And in chapter 1, verse 1, we begin to read, Luke begins to explain his approach. He says, I wrote the former account, being, being the, the gospel of Luke. He's writing to his friend Theophilus. It says, I wrote about all that Jesus did what? That Jesus began to... Okay, let's, let's do this together because I need you to understand this. That Luke wrote the gospel to describe everything that Jesus was to do and to teach. Okay? Everything until the day that he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders through whom? Who directed the orders and instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles? The Holy Spirit. Now this should begin to clue us in because we begin to understand that there was a partnership that Jesus in the incarnation invited the work of the Spirit of God to work through him 
as he began to, uh, for the things that he was doing and the things that he was teaching, but most important, in the instructions that he was giving to his, to his followers. And verse 4 says that while he was with them, while Jesus was with the disciples, excuse me, <coughs> these kind of like allergies have left me with this little scratchy throat. Um, he told them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there. And if you've got your Bibles, this is, a, this is for me one of the most important phrases in the scripture. For the promise of the Father. We sang today that all his promises are what? Yes and amen. That there is a promise that God makes to us. And how many of us know that if there's a promise that God makes, it's probably something that is going to be beneficial for us. It is for our good, for his glory, and that we would be smart to be people who are willing to receive what it is that God has for us. He describes this promise like this. He says, remember, remember John the Baptist? Now, John baptized with water, that there was a, a cleansing. In fact, John's baptism is often called a baptism of repentance. He said, but you'll be baptized with, let me, let me paraphrase this a little bit. The same spirit that is living and working in me is soon going to be released to be living and working in you. Two important things about this reflection is that we begin to see Luke's story begin to shift right here. We start to see the conclusion of the things that Jesus said and did. And we begin to see the initiation or the introduction of the things that people just like you and I began to see, began to do, began to say. And this promise of the Father is not just a promise for our redemption or for our salvation, but that we would be immersed in a new way of living that would require the participation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who believe. And many of us have grown up or been around church where we understand kind of the function of the Father. We sang about Him today. He's a good, good Father. We understand about the work of Jesus, His sacrificial death for our sins on the cross, and the resurrection from the dead that initiates us into a life of relationship with the Father. But there's one more person in the Godhead. And it's one that often we don't talk about very often, but it is probably the person of the Godhead that we interact with the most on a daily basis as believers. It is the, it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person in what we call the, the Trinity. That He is um, co-equal with God, that he possesses all of, the, all of the attributes of God and that he is co-eternal. That he is equal in every way, but distinct unto himself as well. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction 
with the Father and the Son. What do you mean, Jeff, that he works in conjunction? Well, when you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the creation of mankind, we see the Holy Spirit released to fulfill the will of God. That he was hovering over the earth, waiting for the directive to begin to fulfill the commandment that the Father was giving. That when the scripture says that mankind was created, it is the breath of God. The word ruach, wind or breath, that is the life and the spirit of God. That, that is the very thing that um, brought us into life. He was also the instrument that was key to the birth of the Messiah. What did the angels say to Mary when he reached on her door? And the Holy Spirit will do what? Will come upon you. The Holy Spirit in the scripture is always referred to with personal pronouns, just like the Father is, just like Jesus is. The scripture describes the Holy Spirit as possessing intelligence and emotions. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit loves, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In fact, he even has will. The scripture describes in 1 Corinthians that as each one of us has been given gifts by God, it is the spirit that makes that determination. The one who animates us and has given us life is also the one who activates the various gifts and skills and abilities and insights that we've been designed to have. Most importantly, and maybe you want to write this down, the function of the Holy Spirit is that he executes the will of the Father and glorifies the Son. Whatever it is that God wills to happen, the force that begins to implement that is the work of the Spirit. Now some of us are like, man, Jeff, I get this whole, uh, I get the whole God, the Father, Creator thing, I get... Jesus, I've read about him a lot. This whole Holy Spirit thing, I'm a little, like, I'm not, I, I, like, is it really like a, a spirit? In fact, I think when I was younger, I read about something like this, like the Holy Ghost. But they specifically use the word spirit because it connects to the concept presented to us in the Old Testament of the force, the life force that emanates from God that makes everything come to be. The book of Acts begins to describe the beauty and the wonder of what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to really live and work, not just in the life of the Son of God, but in our lives as well. Let's continue to read in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Therefore, when they, being the disciples, when they came together, they were meeting with Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, at this time, this is after the resurrection during the 40 days that Jesus was still with his disciples. And he says, At this, is it now finally that you'll restore your kingdom to Israel? 
And Jesus responded to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. See, that's how you know that God is still a Father. Because he tells us that you're on a need-to-know basis. Right? As a dad, when you're explaining to your kids, Hey, why do we... That's just how it is. That's it, It's why. Do, like... Are we a little early? Does everybody need another shot of coffee today or something like that? Because, I mean, we had plenty of, uh, really, this is, this is Jesus saying to us, uh, because I said so. He says, that's not what's important for you to know. What's important for you to know is that you will receive power. You'll receive power When? Anybody? And I want you to think about this. This is the exact same language that was used by the messenger when he knocked on a teenage girl's door in Bethlehem. Mary, the highly favored of the Lord, you will You will bring forth a son who is from the house of David who is the promised one that the whole world's been waiting for. And her response is, how is this going to happen? And the angel's response was what? That the angel, that the Holy Spirit is going to what? Come upon you. Do you realize... That there is a promise that God has entrusted to us. That there is something, a seed that lives within the life of every believer. That is about bringing forth the kingdom of God. And it happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon everyday men and women in their lives. He says, what's going to happen is you're going to be my witnesses. And the witness is not just about Jesus' death and resurrection. What was the question that the disciples asked him about? Let's go back. What was the disciple? When's the kingdom going to come? What's Jesus saying that we're going to be witnesses about? The kingdom of God. It's not just telling the story how they can be free from their sin. It's not just the joyful gospel of being able to tell people that the Son of God gave his life on behalf of you so that you could enter into a relationship with God. Even more so, he goes, and you get to tell them about this new kind of kingdom that is not defined by borders, that is not defined by laws, that is not defined by some type of government. It is the power of God to change lives that is now your story to tell. And you're going to be my witnesses, he says. This is an important idea because I want to I go all the way back. How many of us remember like the passage in, in Matthew 5 where Jesus taught us, was, was asked to teach the disciples how to pray? We call it what? The Lord's Prayer. 
So let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting that the first thing that Jesus teaches us about communicating with the, with the Father is inviting us to be a participant in the coming of God's kingdom. The place where when people yield to his rulership, there begins to be life that begins to take place. But as usual with God, the kingdom of God is not what we think that it would look like. So many times, wouldn't it just be better if God just kind of like stepped in, took charge, and made everything the way that we think that it should be? The problem is, is that every person in this room has a different way of thinking the way that things should be. It would be so much easier if God just kind of fixed everything. Instead, in typical God fashion, guess what he does? He invites us to participate with him. God empowers believers by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the kingdom of God. And here's what's important. Not only to tell people about the new life in Christ, but to show them what it looks like. Will you, would you write this down for me? Just write this down. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit not just to tell people what new life in Christ is like, but to show them. Let me, let me make this little suggestion to you. If the first book that Luke wrote was about everything that Jesus said and did, then what do you think this second book is going to be about? It's about everyday people whose lives are empowered by the Spirit of God and the things that they say and the things that they do as an example and encouragement to us. And it's going to require, it's going to require two things. It's going to require two things. The two words in the scripture that are often translated power is there's a word exousia, which means authority. Now, authority comes with this dual idea that you both have permission and a right to do something but also a responsibility. Jesus said that all authority, all exousia on heaven and earth has been given to whom? Jesus said, it's been given to me. And then he tells his disciples, and I'm sharing it with you. And that authority is not to be used. What, it, what is someone who has authority that uses that position for their personal gain. What do we call them? A dictator. So this power and authority, this responsibility that has been entrusted to Christ's followers is not for our own personal gain, but it is to be used for the highest privilege, which is to serve those around us. 
But we know that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to be able to live a life of sacrifice in that kind of way, in that kind of service in that way. God knew that we would need a partner, that we would need something that is beyond us that would help us to be the most of what he's designed us to be. Scripture says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive dunamis. Maybe some of you have heard that that's the where we get the, the uh, English word dynamite. That kind of force that begins to um, make things happen. There is something that is important for us to understand as we begin this journey. This book is not just about reading what people did 2,000 years ago. It is to be a model for how we could live. And it is also an example of the things that we need to guard against. That's why I've called this series a, a beautiful mess. I've often had people come to me and just be like, well, Pastor Jeff, man, if only the church could get back and, and be like the early church, be like the first church. Because when I read the book of Acts, there's so many miracles and so many supernatural things that take place. And, and, and it just impacts and changes the whole society. And I'm like, you are exactly right. The problem is, is that people like us were also involved with that. Which means that there were all kinds of arguments. There was all kinds of discussions. There was all types of conflict. There was the severing of relationships and the work that it takes to reconcile. And somehow, in spite of all of that messiness, just like our lives can be messy at times, God still says, but you're empowered. You have authority. You have a responsibility. And the responsibility is this. Will you let me work through you or not? Well, we have this great invitation. His disciples see Jesus ascend to heaven. They're left with his words ringing in their ears, and they make their way back to Jerusalem. And we don't know how many days it was, but they are gathered in Jerusalem. And, and so with this promise that Jesus gives them, what do you think the first thing that they should do? Well, we have a description of the first thing that they do. Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to 26. Therefore, of these men that have accompanied us all the time since the Lord Jesus went in and out uh, among us, beginning with the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up, one of them must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, wait a minute. What, what just happened here? Well, remember, how many disciples, quote-unquote, like the main dudes on the team, how many are left now? How many did we start with? That's right. And they decided that what would be best is that we can't have an empty roster spot. 
We got to pull somebody up from the minor leagues. We got to, we got to bring somebody up to make sure that the number of people is correct. In fact, let's look at how it continues to go on. And they proposed two people, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, which from from which Judas by transgression fell, and he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. I love the fact that in the first chapter, when God promises to do something for us, and he gave them a very specific instruction. He said, go to Jerusalem and do what? Anybody can remember? Go to Jerusalem and wait. And in the very first chapter, we realize that we're not very good at waiting. Like, this is kind of encouraging to me. Because, like, they do what I do. They get antsy. They get a little impatient, and they find maybe, uh, the way that I've been reading it over these last few months is I've been filtering it, unfortunately, through my own life, where things never happen at the time that they should, that I get impatient on waiting on God, that doing something has got to be better than doing nothing. Because what I realize is that I'm not good at waiting, no matter how big the promises. Peter even gets up and preaches a little message and finds a passage in the Old Testament and says, see, 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 we're making the right decision. And maybe they did. They had been praying. Maybe there was something that they actually heard from the Lord. The challenge is, is that we never hear about Matthias ever again. This is the only time he's ever mentioned in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that he was insignificant, but it does reflect to me that in my own life, when I look at the mirror of the scripture, I know that in my own life, when God says, if you'll wait for the thing that I have for you, I get impatient. I try to make things happen. I get distracted. And sometimes, to be honest, I even justify it with some type of self-imposed spirituality. Well, the scripture says, and look, instead of just being able to settle, one of the things that we're going to see as we walk through the book of Acts is this idea of it's better to do something than nothing. Can I just rephrase this for you? It's better to obey than to take things into your own hands. It's better to wait for God than to force the issue. I love this being in the first chapter because it tells me from the very beginning that even with all of the promise of God, that this thing might be messy. This thing might not work as it was maybe intended for it to work. Why? Because we're involved with it. Look around the room. We've got people here who are impatient. 
We've got people here who are uncomfortable with waiting. We've got people here who are people of action, who just can't sit still. We've got people in here that maybe some of us has been waiting for the fulfillment of a promise from God for a very, very long time. As we read in the book of Acts, we will see relationships that get damaged. We will see challenges that people will face that seem insurmountable. And all the while, there's the promise of God's personal presence by the Holy Spirit that is living and working in us as we receive his invitation to be able to do so. Which brings us back to the kaleidoscope. I think it makes a little bit more sense now how all those broken bits and pieces at the end, how when it's held up and viewed through the mirrored image of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that what we seem to deem worthless and wasted, God turns into something that is very beautiful even despite our attempts to mess it up. If the book of Acts was about the things that Jesus said and did, if the book of Luke was about the things that Jesus said and did, the book of Acts is about what the people of God do and say when they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I want to go back to one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples. And remember his instructions. The scripture said. The things that Jesus said. Were prompted or directed. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. And look at what God said. By the Spirit. He said. I promise you. That he who believes in me. And can we read this together? The works that I do he will do also. Think about that for a minute. The words that Jesus spoke to his, not just the 12, because at this time, guess who was in the room? The one who's missing in the first chapter. And other people are gathered around, and Jesus makes this promise the things you've seen, you'll get to do. I just don't want you watching from the sidelines or the stands. I want you what? I want you playing. And these things are going to happen because, not because I stay, but because I go. But I'm going to pray to the Father and he is going to give you a helper. That he is going to live with you forever. The book of Acts, as written in the Bible, might be concluded. But the story of Acts 
has continued to go on for 2,000 years and is happening in this room right now. Because it's not just, quote-unquote, the acts of the apostles. It's also the acts of the believers, of the followers, the ones who even in our incompleteness and imperfections have both the privilege and the responsibility, the ability and the capacity to starting to help our world encounter the kingdom of God. Thank you.